Allow me to set the scene for you. It was a warm, late winter Friday afternoon when I wanted to be doing anything but what I needed to do. You know the feeling, it's when you feel just slightly stuck in the task that is at hand, and yet the part of you wants to be somewhere else. Part of you wants to be working on something else. And the frustrating part is that no matter how much you like you would like to articulate what that thing is, it only manifests as restlessness because the only part that you can identify is that you don't want to be doing the thing that you must do. And the thing that I needed to do on this Friday was make a delivery to Galway City, which is about, oh, maybe about an hour and a half of an active Irish country road drive away from my home. Before I had departed, I had made a few deliveries in town and checked in with the local butcher and a few other people, and each person that I met seemed to give me a piece of wisdom along the way that I could hear even through the thick fog of my stubbornness, which was holding on to the sense that I wanted to be doing something else. The butcher, for instance, left me with a kind word that said, we have to help each other. That's all we have to do, is help each other. I mean, it is a gift when words from a near stranger penetrate that thick fog of ignorance, which we so easily create for ourselves. Another person I was checking in to make sure that we had delivered something correctly, and she just said to me, it's always perfect. It's always perfect. <laughs> As if to say, even if it was incorrect, it would still be perfect. And here I was almost riding high a little bit as I was prideful in my identification of these divine messages when I began my trip to Galway City. In this episode of A Quiet Voice, we're talking about what happens when we allow presence to restore us to a pure self and how to find divinity in other people when we just listen. My name is Colin Ward. Thank you for joining me. If this is your first time listening to A Quiet Voice, my humblest welcome. I hope that this creative experiment can bring you some illumination around your own creative journey. These stories are just my careful cradle that I'm trying to bring a bit of wisdom, something that only you can see and at best I can try to put together just a hold for you for a little while. It's fun, and I'm enjoying it, and I hope that you get something out of it. One of my favorite things to do when I feel a little bit lost, feel a little distant from a sense of presence, a sense of as it is, I love to turn on music and allow the lyrics or the sounds to just wash over me and bring me into that present into that present moment 
And there's something so beautiful about driving a car in that it engages your left hemisphere, your logical mind, your rational mind. All of the reptilian survival instincts are engaged fully. So there can be a space that's left open for the intuitive to come in and be noticed. It may happen all the time, even if you're not even driving the car. It comes in a ray of sunshine. It comes in, oh, I don't know, the sound of the radio, the sound of music. But the way that I like to rip open the moment is by opening up my music player and sorting through about 9,000 songs that I have liked through my years of using this music player and then pressing shuffle and allowing whatever comes to just come. And the most interesting and divine part of this music divination, let's call it, is just how relevant each track is to me. And how could it not be? I liked each and every song in a series of moments. So as I'm driving, I'm allowing these songs to come one after another and a smile to sort of creep on my face as I start to see that it's all going to be okay. I just have to let go and continue letting go. And all the times for the things that I wish I could do will come. Right now I'm doing this. Right now I'm driving the car. Right now I'm taking the delivery. And there's no rush. And there's no need to hurry. It's all coming. Now that I've set the scene for the mindset and the sort of random music journey that I'm engaging on as I speed down to Galway City, I spotted a man on the side of the road giving that internationally recognized symbol of, I need a lift, will you bring me to my destination? The thumb extended on the arm on the side of the road. Now, it was a dry day, luckily, but you can imagine that hitchhiking in Ireland can be quite difficult if you're soaked in rain and wind and, you know, by the side of a busy road, your impatience can create a sense in which the moments just seem to drag for eternity. This wasn't that kind of day. And I didn't even really feel pity or sorry for him as I saw the three distant cars ahead of me speed right on by without sympathy, without care, without pity. Now, I knew where I was going. I knew my destination, and I had an empty seat to my left. So almost without even realizing it or having a air of conscious thought, I just sort of pulled the car open very carefully, rolled down my window and asked, hey, where are you, where are you going? Where are you headed? Now, I'm sure that the American accent in the middle of, of Ireland kind of shocked him a little bit, but hey, he was, he was the one needing the ride, so he wasn't going to turn me down. And he was headed in the same direction. He climbed in introduced himself, shook his hand with a little bit of gratitude, introduced, his name, introduced himself as a man named Tony. And there we were. Now, it could be very easy to allow any sort of nerves or apprehension or anxieties to come. And they did come a little bit. Picking up a hitchhiker in the United States is known for being illicitly dangerous and uncertain. Though namely, it's usually more dangerous for the hitchhiker than the driver. 
Yet in Ireland, there's something quite elegant and beautiful about hitchhiking. Everybody seems to be looking for a way to give back or to offer a little bit of charity, and chances are you've seen the hitchhiker before, or chances are you know the man himself. He's a friend of a friend, or what have you. So hitchhiking in Ireland is quite easy, and especially if you're in the right spot and have a certain integrity around you or, you know, look like a nice kind of nice-looking guy, you can do it. Now, I can't speak for the case for women. I don't know how, how that works, but at least among men, especially older men who are beyond their driving years, it's very common. So I didn't have too many anxieties around picking him up. And there he sat, speeding along down towards towards Galway City. And I was very quick to just sort of breathe and take in the moment and just almost as if Tony, my new friend, was there the whole time. Just another long series of people to enter my life today and bestow wisdom. And I had a feeling that there was just a reason why I did that. He was almost in my car before I even could ascertain what I really did. He was interested, which is a good thing to do as a, a guest in someone's home, is to be interested in, in their car or interested in their life. And he was kind. You could see that in his eyes and his posture. He was comfortable with himself. He didn't smell of alcohol or anything foul. He, he just was pleasant and curious. I was talking to him about herbal remedies and the fact that spring was coming soon and all of the beautiful plants that can bestow a certain medicinal quality if we let them. And he said to me, yes, God one time told me that I could cure an ailment that I had by using lemongrass or lemon balm. This struck me as a little bit odd. It's not something somebody would be eager to share is that God is giving them prescriptive medication <laughs> through an intuitive ear, but that's fine. To me, it's uh, not unusual to receive things through an intuition, so I say, ah, okay, I, I understand where you're coming from and uh, think nothing of it. And eventually, as we continue and he becomes more, he becomes more aware of where I'm coming from. I want to know where he's coming from. And I ask him, what do you do for work? And he turns out to be a minister. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't need to... If you're, if you're a regular listener to this show, you would know that a big smile would come across my face when I realized that the hitchhiker that I picked up was a man on a spiritual journey, just like myself and just like the rest of us. But a minister to me is not something that I would really know how to welcome. Having grown up in the southern United States, the thumping Bible Belt and tobacco country, ministers were evangelical, they were radical, they were fundamentalist, they would speak in tongues and wave their arms around and hold a Bible in front of their hand and command legions of followers and often, mistakenly perhaps, conflate politics with religion and as so often comes with 
men and women in positions of power, they become corrupted and they perhaps, and they perhaps lose their godly charm or their, their orientation towards pure faith. But a hitchhiker wasn't arriving to Galway City in a Rolls Royce or riding the usher for collection to his town of destination. He was asking for help, and I was there to give it to him. So I understood that especially being a minister in a Catholic-speaking country, this is quite unusual and not something that would be a chosen path if you had to choose one. Yet people that are of a spiritual calling are often not necessarily on a path that they chose, as much as one that comes through a series of slammed doors or gentle nudges, if they're lucky. Somehow we got talking about my experience on Inish Moore and just how I became cultured in Ireland to the ways of the Irish people or became aware of all of the subtleties of the Irish culture, perhaps. And I mentioned that before I went to Inishmore, I received a communion of sorts with a druid for protection out there on the bare karst island. And he thought this was quite a funny, my friend Tony. Because now he started to see that I too was looking for wisdom in otherworldly places. And as we continued down the road, nearing the halfway point to our destination together, we were having a full-on conversation about God, about spirit, and our search for truth amidst a culture that seems to conflate God with materialism or power and leverage spirituality for worldly gain rather than escape. We talked a little bit about Jesus. And the more we speak about Jesus, the more my... my young 16, 17-year-old within me who is skeptical about all things Jesus-related or all things biblical would chime up and sort of say, look now, this man is kind of... He's just like those, those people that we ran away from in the southern United States. But beyond that level of deeper ignorance and past memories of from North Carolina was, was a reminder on my own intuitive level that everybody I meet is God themselves. So I was willing to listen to whatever he said. And at the same time, I almost wanted to pull out that wisdom from this man in a way, tease it out, because I knew it was there. And I knew that there was something that he, I needed to hear. 
and rest assured there were things that he needed to say. One such thing he said to me was that he was getting a vision or an image of Mother Teresa when he got into the car. And he said that he feels compelled to tell me that God has a plan for me, God has a particular calling for me that might be more arduous or difficult than I think. Yes, 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 this, this tracks well. My intuition is buzzing. Oh, geez, God has a plan for me. Yes, tell me more. The 16-year-old within me sort of laughing and joking. The irony of the fact that I'm probably the third traveler that day that he's told that to isn't lost on me. But I listen all the same, trying to just stay in that open heart, that open place. I grip the steering wheel to feel the, feel the leather beneath my fingers and make sure that I'm safe on the road. And at the same time, just continue to fall deeper into that intuitive place where I can listen to what's inside just as much as what's coming through my ears. He speaks about Nicodemus, who was the notable re reluctant follower of Jesus, who clung a little bit towards his power and status in the established Jewish faith and couldn't quite let go of everything in order to follow Jesus, which, in Tony's words, and Jesus' own, I guess, is the truth, the light, the way. Now there's an element of sacrifice. There's an element of being reborn that rings true in my experience as well. It's just that in my mind, in my experience, the being reborn came through shamanic means and neo-pagan thought processes, maybe a little dabble in psychedelics and meditation, as well as just deepening a connection to intuition. Perhaps this is God in a different form. And that's what I say to Tony. Tony tells me that his path to God hasn't been seamless, that he was an alcoholic, a gambling addict, I nod, I listen, I know the experience. And he got pulled into the ways of tarot cards, into the ways of neo-pagan philosophies and interests around sacred sites, like the ones that I am so fascinated by. Yet in his mind, the deeper he went down that rabbit hole, the further it led him into sorcery and witchcraft and devil work, as he said. See, now, when he conjures up images of fire and brimstone and sinful ways that are associated with the things that I hold dear to my spiritual growth, there becomes an edge to my intuition. There becomes an edge to my interior world in which I'm trying to discern whether or not that tightness in my chest is a warning, a warning that I'm on the wrong path, Perhaps that maybe this Jesus guy is not so bad and I need to revisit my sinful pagan ways.
or whether or not it's pulling me closer into the truth that I know. And I start to disassociate a little bit, and now I don't really know what to believe. Yet at the same time, a little voice comes up. Perhaps, can I trust it though? Coming from a place that's been nourished through all of these ways of sorcery and witchcraft that Tony was so adamantly warning of. And the little voice just urged me to remember that the guru challenges me in many ways. Not just through flattery and not just through praise. So I listen intently to what Tony says as effectively God himself or the guru or whatever you want to call it is challenging my beliefs. And what do I really think? What do I really stand for? When somebody calls your ways wicked and wrong. Now, of course, Tony is not a man to use intense criticism to convert anybody. He, he, he's not that way. Yet, at the same time, you know that he's speaking from personal experience, and so I wonder if his soft language is concealing more of an intense veracity of feelings of truth that he discovered through moving through these wicked ways that I have wandered. As we pull into the more congested Galway city and the roads become a little bit more complicated, my ability to pay attention on, to the conversation is, is diminished because now I need to focus on the road and making sure I get to where I need to go. And... But there's a question that comes up in my mind that seems to ring true to what I was trying to discover from this stranger that I picked up. And I said, well, Tony, I can tell that you're guided by compassion. I can assure you that I'm trying to be guided by the same. Is God patient with us? Is he patient with us as we explore all of these different avenues of spirituality that maybe he deems wrong or deems treacherous? And Tony says that God is a gentleman. That God will never twist our arms in order to believe something that we're not ready to believe. And he speaks very briefly of a story, details of which I only remember a few points. It was about a female missionary who in her journey following God was brought to the East, to the lands of heretical Buddhists and Taoists and Confucianists. And in this temple of Buddhists, she began to doubt God. She began to doubt the path. And she wondered, why am I here? Why am I with all of these Buddhists? I want to be with Christians. I want to be with people of similar faiths who believe the same as me. A community of like-minded people is what I want. And in the same, as if to correct 
her questioning, and as if to correct her pride in her Christian faith, the path of God was the path that God brought her on, brought her to a big cage in which Buddhists were sit very peacefully on the dirt ground. Their eyes were closed, their posture straight. And then the gate of an iron cage was lifted and an adult tiger moved into the pen, roaming around the placid Buddhists whose posture never shifted, never quivered, never quaked. Now she felt the pangs of fear, the idea that the tiger will lash out at these heathens, at these men who are all on the wrong path. And as if the tiger himself was God in action, and that God would have vengeance upon all of the wicked ways that these men have wandered. But instead, the tiger licked the faces of the Buddhists. Each one was blessed as if the tiger was a house cat rolling around in the dirt and purring and no threat at all. And it was as if God was saying that these men are following his path in their own way and that he acknowledged that as long as they're continuing to be led by compassion and grace and truth, they will eventually be led to him. This to me rang quite comforting. It meant that I could explore what felt right and that the intuition that I felt that which pulled me into different avenues of spiritual growth was just another face of God. There was no wrong turn, no misstep. And I didn't need to worry about the fire and brimstone that's going to come. <laughs> because I was going to be, be all right. There's nothing to prove, there was nothing to prophetize, there was nothing to push. And Tony, just like his God, was a gentleman. When we finally parked in the parking lot of the Catholic Cathedral in Galway, he offered to pray with me in the car which I was happy to oblige. He prayed from a bit of scripture, which to be perfectly honest, I was so listening to my own inner scripture, I couldn't recall the passage or the voice. And then he was kind enough to help me carry my delivery to 
the stockist that I needed to deliver to and even wait with me inside patiently until the owner could see me. And then he shook my hand and with a simple, God bless you, we parted ways, never to see each other again. And as I drove back by myself, almost spiraling in this fever of joy and questioning agony, a memory of his face lingered, which in another lesson from the guru reminded me of the differences between how Tony saw the world and how I see it. See, I wear glasses. My prescription may not be very strong, but I need them to see a little bit into the distance just to clarify the fogginess that may happen when I'm driving or trying to recognize a face in a crowd. Tony wore glasses as well, but they were thick like the bottom of a bottle. Both of us were looking to see clearly in our path, identify all of the threats and avenues which would bring us closer to the truth that we were searching for, or at least the truth that allowed us to live a peaceful life. But if I was to wear Tony's glasses, see the world as he sees it. I would get sick, unsteady. The world would wobble and shake, and I wouldn't be able to walk. And if Tony wore my glasses, they wouldn't be strong enough. They wouldn't be strong enough. So the same hierarchical lessons that come in an established religion like Christianity, comforting to Tony, but to me would have been confining, trapping, and not allow me to feel the freedom of exploration which I need in my ways. In the same way that I'm all right following this divine thread that comes through intuition and drumming and shamanic experiences that bring me closer to nature, and myself. These far out, less defined, esoteric, piecemeal approach to assembling a spiritual path would, would not work for Tony. He needed the structure. He needed the guidance from a book that he could read and carry with him. Each of us on our own path with the eyes that we were born with, the path that's right in front of us, and luckily enough, the glasses to see the way. Hmm. It's all the same in the external world to me. The God that I find in my meditation or read about or experience in a shamanic journey or through the presence of a sacred space like in nature, that God is in every single person that I meet. And if I can 
sit in a place within myself that is aware of my own ignorances and able to see through them, or at least allow the voice of another person to penetrate the cloud that I erect around myself, then I'll be able to see the next step. The guru is everywhere. God is everywhere. And each person that we meet dressed in challenging clothing, this is the way that speaks to me of truth and allows me to tolerate maybe even the most unwelcome house guests. Now, I'm not meaning to say that it's always pleasant. There are people that we meet that show us sides of ourselves that are extremely difficult. And they can only be realized through acts of violence, aggression, anger, intense emotions. I'm lucky that Tony was a peaceful man and a compassionate man and that the lesson of the guru being another in another person can come peacefully. I am not offering a lens into how you can help recognize the wisdom that comes from an angry loved one or an angry family member or the tension of a neighbor or what have you. But I hope and I believe that the quality of truth that comes in the compassion of a stranger can help us start to see the degree to which we are tormented by our own thoughts, our own ignorances, and how the guru is a mirror reflecting them back to us all the time. How does that mean we navigate when a person treats us with anger, indifference, cruelty? Hmm. That's a heavy one. That's a heavy lesson. One that I've not really received too often in my life. Requires more meditation before I deliver those thoughts. But I hope that this story illuminates a core aspect in many Eastern religions, Eastern faiths. <laughs> I hope I see Tony again, but if I don't, I will carry that story with me for the rest of my life and hope that it continues to open me and open you to help strangers and to listen to the wisdom that they bring you, even if, or especially if, it challenges your own. This is not the first time that I've spoken about the wisdom that comes from other people, strangers especially, because in a larger sense, what I am attempting to do is build a argument or allow the argument to unfold it is animism animism is the belief that objects or creatures or places things that don't have a breath even like a rock all possess a distinct spiritual essence something similar that can be perceived in all things. That the world around us is alive. 
And this is the belief that is distinct about shamanism in many indigenous cultures. And that by learning to watch it, we can start to see how this quiet voice appears to us even when we're not listening with just our ears. So if you're interested in learning more or diving deeper into these lessons that come from outside of yourself, episode 16, how to find an elixir to self-doubt in a supermarket, and episode 13, when the quiet voice calls in conversations with others, are two other episodes that I invite you to listen to. Until next time, this has been A Quiet Voice with Colin Ward. The best way to help this podcast is by sharing it with a friend, a loved one, a stranger even. You can also follow me on Instagram at A Quiet Voice Podcast, where I post smaller bits of content and like to hear from you as well. Until next time, I wish you peace and presence. Happy hitchhiking, <laughs> and I'll talk to you soon. Goodbye for now.